Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. The title of the book is Pee Wee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent, and the author is Rich Cohen. Now, I have to tell you, the title sounds innocent enough, Pee Wee's. But trust me, this is the very best book written on what it's like to be a sports parent in this day and age, ever since Bill Geist's classic Little League Confidential. And that book was published way back in 1992. Now, Little League Confidential was a first-person account by Bill Geist about being the head coach of his son Willie's Little League team, Yep, his son Willie. These days, of course, Willie has grown up and is a star on NBC News. But Bill wrote with great amazement and wonderment as to what it was like to run a team of 11 and 12-year-olds in Ridgewood, New Jersey, and what it was like to deal with the nutty and less than objective parents of those of those kids. But again, that book came out in the 1990s. That's a generation or two ago. And I recall when I read it, I said to myself, well, someone has finally written an account of sports parenting and what it's like to see these parents who have lost their true perspective about their kids in sports. Fast forward to now. Rich Cohen, who was an accomplished best-selling author who writes books on a variety of topics and is a contributing editor to Vanity Fair and to Rolling Stone, well, he turned his attention to one of his sons, Micah, who is an aspiring travel league hockey player at the peewee level, which is 12 and under. And it's, as you, I'm telling you, as you read this book, all I can tell you is that it was clearly a personal mission for Rich. Now, whether it's Little League Baseball or ice hockey or AAU basketball or any other competitive youth sport that your kid plays, I'm telling you, you're going to fully identify with what Rich describes in this book in both painful as well as humorous detail. And it all starts when Micah tries out for the Pee Wee ice hockey team in his hometown of Ridgefield, Connecticut. But first, let me get Rich on the phone. Rich, welcome to the Sports Edge. 
Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be talking to you. Well, thank you, Rich. And, and uh, you know, a, a bunch of items I want to cover this morning. Uh, I want to talk about the tryouts and how they're conducted. Uh, you know, if your kid does make one of the, one of the, the teams, uh, the season is unbelievably long and, and time-consuming. It goes from September right through March. The games are on the weekends, and you play throughout the state of Connecticut. The practice sessions are often very early in the morning. Uh, the head coach is someone who is, you know, independent and who doesn't have a family member on the team. But the assistant coaches usually do have a kid on the team. And we'll talk about that in a, a few minutes. And then there's the unique sociology of having become a hockey parent friends with all the other parents whose kids are on the team as well. And we'll, we'll get into that, too. But, Rich, let's and friends, we'll take calls about this because I know this is the precise audience for this book. As I said, whether your kid plays travel hockey or travel soccer uh, or baseball or basketball, you will relate to all these experiences. And we'll take your calls, of course, at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Rich, let's talk about first the tryouts and how emotionally churning that is for for any parent. Well, you don't think that you're gonna. Uh sort of lose your mind the way you do. I watched my brother with his kids, and I thought, God, he's acting like an idiot. And then I turned out to be worse than him. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's like 200 kids show up all, from all around the region, and they're on this rink. And it's like a I'd reported about the NFL Combine for Harper's right before I saw one of these tryouts, and it's like a little mini kid version of the NFL Combine with all the kids wearing numbers and being put through, you know, various tests for skills, inside edge, outside edge, backwards, forwards, or shots. And the way hockey is and the way everything else in the country is, I think, is you can't measure a lot of things. So you basically judge on what you can measure. And if you don't measure, it doesn't exist. I grew up playing hockey, and a lot of it was just coaches deciding what team you'd go on. But now the skating is so much more precise and better that you're basically having these drills to find certain kinds of skaters. And they might be the best skaters, but they're not necessarily the best hockey players. And you find that out as the season goes by. And every sports fan knows that from watching their own team go through the draft. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's such a process. Uh, you know, it, it, the way this is conducted, you know, you, I know up in Ridgefield and a lot of places, because they are, they, the people who run the league or the teams, they're so concerned of, of their, it's fraught with the nepotism concerns and so on and so forth and, and this kind of stuff that they actually bring in a team of, of evaluators from outside yeah. the area just to run these tryouts so that the, there's no, the kids don't wear their names in their backs, nothing, just the, you know, uh, the, the numbers attached to the jerseys. They're trying to make this as objective as possible. But, of course, the parents are all, you know, watching all this in, in the stands and saying, oh, my gosh, I hope my kid is one of the select ones who are, who are chosen to make a team. Well, yeah, well, you have, so you have the, the kids are wearing pinafores with numbers on them. You're not supposed to know who they are. Mm -hmm. So parents write the numbers down and then identify the kids. So they have like a cheat sheet. <laughs> and then they go home and they post who's made which group each night. And the first cut, like everything in life, is the big cut. Because once you're in the wrong group, it's very hard to get into the right group. And there's a big group and a small group. And again, in life, you always want to be in the small group. So they go home and you're hitting refresh on your computer looking at the web page 10,000 times. And then you get the cheat sheet and you figure out what kid's on which team. And then you have all kinds of judgments about other kids who are not your kids you shouldn't really have. And all these decisions are supposedly made by these outside evaluators. But if you're a parent and you go through it, you start to think these outside evaluators are brought in for plausible deniability. 
So when you go complain that this was wrong, that's wrong, they can say, hey, it wasn't us. It was the outside evaluators. Yes. And the outside evaluators are stashed here and there like air marshals on an airplane. Like, you're not supposed to really know who they are, but there's a strange guy in an overcoat with a notepad. <laughs> and you're told, do not talk to that guy. Now, I made the mistake of thinking I recognized one of those guys and like going up and slapping him on the back and he almost passed out. I mean, it was such a breach <laughs> of rink ethics. So, and all the parents are in this situation and they're all, you know, got their best faces. Like, I don't care. It's just a team, but everybody's praying for their kid to make the right team. And it be, it's like the most, if you were to be a stranger and walk in there, you'd go, what the electricity in that place? You'd go, what is going on? You know, are we deciding the president of the United States or what's, you know, it's very intense. Anybody who has gone through this process as a parent, and again, the parents obviously have a, a different uh, different set of values here than the kids do. And again, with peewee hockey players, and again, this happens obviously with the, the squirts and, and bantams and midgets, but for parents, your heart is in your throat because you are basically saying, this is my son or my daughter, and I'm asking for other people who I do not know, these outside evaluators, to find or basically come around and say, yes, my kid is super talented, and uh, he or she is going to make uh, an elite double-A team or the A team or the B team, but they're going to make a team. And you're just, it, you, again, for parents, and I know that millions of parents go through this every year, uh, regardless of what sport their kid plays, but it's just absolutely frightening. Uh, and, and, again, once you go through the process uh, and the teams are selected. Now, in Micah's case, it was kind of curious how he got to be on the A team in Ridgefield. Yeah, well, the story with him is he had all these intangible qualities, which is he could score goals. So he wasn't necessarily the best skater, but he had this ability to play the game that didn't show up in the test. And I could see that he was on the wrong team, on the wrong team, on the wrong team. And I was freaking out, pretending I didn't care, but freaking out. Of course, he didn't care so much. I'm the one who cared. Yes. And I called his old coach who knows what kind of player he is. And he said, well, on the last day of scrimmage, the last day they scrimmage, and if he just plays his game, he'll be fine because they'll see. And the last day of the scrimmage, he, it was a very, he went in with the big group the wrong group. I'm sitting with the parents. I've already accepted he's going to be on this lower team. I've come to hate the people on the upper team. I'm completely identifying with this team. <laughs> and then after the first scrimmage, one of those guys in the overcoats comes up and says, are you Mr. Cohen? And I immediately think I left my light sign on my car or I'm parked in a handicap spot. I can't imagine why an official is talking to me. And he, I go, yes, I am. And he goes, can Michael please stay and play with the upper group? We'd like to take a look at him. And it was like, I was, oh my God, it was like I'd been called up to heaven and I immediately felt a great distance between me and the lower parents. I said, I'm sorry, I'm leaving you now and I'm going to the upper world. And I said to Michael, be very cool, you got to hang around. And then he did just as well with the second group and on the last day, he made the top team or the, the higher team. And it was like, I thought, I was so happy. I was crazy, I was embarrassed by how happy I was. And I thought, this is where it should all end. I mean, this is like the end of Rocky. I want to yell. I want Micah to be yelling, Adrian, Adrian, of course, would be his mother, my, my wife, Jessica. Uh, but, of course, it didn't end. It was really just the beginning of another many, many months of hockey. We're talking with Rich Cohen. He's the author of a, a wonderful new book called Pee Wee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent. And as, I, as you've been hearing, he's, he's so candid and so honest about this whole experience. And, and you know, uh, you just... 
ask the question, and this is the ultimate question to take away from the book for all of us, is what is why do we care so much? Because the kids, the kids are oblivious to all this, but the parents are so vested in this. And the question is, why do we care? And, and, and Rich, I know you grew up in, in the Chicago area. You, 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 you know, play hockey there. You know the game. You know how to, how to, what, what the strategies are, talent levels, whatever. You knew what to expect. Uh, with these tryouts with Micah, uh, but it, it, and playing on a competitive travel team. But again, why do you think parents care so much? Well, there's a bunch of reasons, and I'm still trying to figure it out. One is you care more about your kids than you do about yourself. I mean, you don't expect to, but you do. It's like because you can't do anything. I mean, when it's you, you can do stuff. You can go out and play and try. You're just now a spectator. You go from player to parent to coach to whatever. That's one thing. And the second thing is, the system, and it's hard to say this, but the system seems kind of corrupt. And it didn't seem so corrupt when I was a kid. Now, maybe I don't notice, but so it seems like the parents are so involved to get their kids on the right team that you either don't care and are one of those parents who don't care. However it is, it is. That's fine. It all work out. And good for you, man. I wish I was one of you. <laughs> or you're one of the people who are nuts. That's me. And then you start thinking, listen, I don't want to get hyper-involved and I don't want to be crazy. But if I don't my, that's what I have to do for my kid. Otherwise, it's, he's not going to be on the right team. And if he's not on the right team, he's not going to play with the best players. And he's not going to develop. Develop to go where? I don't know. But develop and blah, 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 blah. So you wind up just caught up in the politics of it. In our situation, it's a parent-run board. So if you look at it, the parents on the board, their kids usually end up in good places. And the coaches' kids usually end up in good places. If you're sort of a truly outsider, you got to get your kids on the right team. Yes. And that's how you feel. And for me, a big moment was with my older son was a squirt. He forgot a tape and I went into the locker room just to give him a tape. And there were like 15 parents in the locker room. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, this is different because this means you can't really have a team. You have a series of individual athletes with their own private coach, like a series of, you know, Andre Agassiz is Andre Agassiz's father. And each parent, each team is its own kind of little, each kid is its own team. And each parent is the coach. And then you think you can either fight this system or you just kind of play within it. And playing within it means you as a parent get hyper-involved. And over time, it becomes very important to you. And the other thing I'll add is you spend more – if your kid plays a lot of travel hockey, you mentioned the length of the season. It could be 80 games long. Yes. And it really starts in August and goes till the spring. Yes. And then it continues. So you're going to spend more time with these other parents than – with anybody in your whole life since probably college dorms. So basically you don't think maybe I don't care what these people think of me, but what you do. And it's like status. And if your kid's on a better team, you're treated kind of better. So you, you have this sick realization where it's not really necessarily about what's best for your kid. It's also about what's best for you. And you know, it becomes like a, a, a junior high school lunchroom sometimes where there are the double a parents, there are the B parents, you know, and it's sort of like if you have a friend who used to be a double-A parent but something happened with his kid, you kind of see him. You're like, I wish we could still be friends, but, you know, we're in different worlds now, and you're going to go your way and I'm going to go mine. 
So it becomes socially important what team your kid makes. Let me, let me, let me stop you at that point because I want to explore that. And I will tell you, uh, I went through this experience uh, some years ago with my own son when he was playing uh, travel league hockey and went through, you know, squirts and peewees and, and bantam and midget and so on and so forth. And exactly what you're talking about, the caste system of parents and having all of a sudden you have to be, for better or for worse, become friends with the parents of the other kids on the team for that long stretch of the year. It is, it is something that is sociologically I had never really encountered before, but it is unique and it's different and it's at times just extraordinarily maddening. Uh, let me take a time out. We're talking with Rich Cohen, the author of Pee Wees. Uh, when we come back uh, after this time out, uh, we'll take your calls as well at one 337 Back here on the Sports Edge, I'm talking this morning with Rich Cohen. He's the author of a brand new book called Pee Wee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent. And I, as I said at the start of the show, I absolutely urge you to get a copy of this book uh, if you have a son or daughter who plays travel team sports because you will re totally relate to what Rich writes about uh, in, in a very, very candid and honest way. It, it's, a, it's a really wonderful sort of snapshot of what it's like to be a, a sports parent uh, in the year 2000, 2021. And, and obviously things have changed dramatically. Uh, you know, I, 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 I will tell you on a personal uh, note, uh, I went through a very similar experience with my son John when he was playing competitive ice hockey, uh, and, and this is going back 20, 25 years. Um, he was, when he was a peewee, my son John, he played over in Suffern uh, for Ramapo, which uh, was in the New Jersey uh, State uh, Hockey Conference. Uh, the the Sportorama rink, the home rink for, uh, for Ramapo, was 45-minute drive from my home. The games were every Saturday and Sunday and practices during the week. Uh, I drove my son up and down the New Jersey Turnpike uh, for that entire fall, winter, and into the spring. It's a towns like uh, Bridgewater, Brick, Pensacola, everywhere in New Jersey. It reminded me of my days playing minor league baseball with the endless long uh, bus trips. But uh, it was just extraordinary. Uh, the following year, John, when he graduated, became a bantam. Uh, he actually tried out uh, and made three teams that were much closer to our home. He actually ended up playing uh, in, in Darien, Connecticut, but he also made the Mid Fairfield and Ridgefield team as well. Anyhow, Rich, I. I, I before the break, I want to talk about the parents because, as you said, there's some sort of like uh, caste system, for lack of a better term, when it comes to the parents and, and how the parents obviously are always looking for an edge, trying to find a way to somehow better their kid's uh, position or status within the, the hockey uh, program. It, it's maddening and it's difficult to understand if you're an outsider. You know, I always thought like, like Mike is our third uh, kid. And I always thought, you know, probably if you did a statistical study, you'd find that second and third kids are better athletes in these kind of systems because you've used the first kid as a sort of test balloon to figure out how the whole thing works. I mean, you got to kind of waste your first kid and feed him into it, which is what we did. And um, that, so as an example of that, with our oldest who played also, he was having trouble just picking up some of the skills in hockey, and I, I, he needed to make this leap. And I'm not really great at teaching this stuff. Um, so, you know, normally, like, I remember playing the – I feel like the coaches taught us. So I was going to other parents and going, what do I do about this? I mean, 
how do I help them? And they're like, well, you can't do anything. I mean, it's just a natural growing process and it'll happen or it won't. And it's not up to you. And so I let that go. And then I'm like, no, this isn't right. So I found out that there was private lessons. I could get them at a different rank. And I took them over there and I go in and all the parents who told me you can't do anything, they were there with their kids. <laughs> oh. And it's not like I then went and told everybody else, hey, you got to go over here. I mean, I <laughs> did what I did. I did what they did. Oh, you know, gosh. which is like you, it's like a survival of the fittest situation. Like you figure, meanwhile, your kids just, my kids just eating Mike and Ike staring out the window and I would get in these huge fights. And um, one, I was fighting with him about what, where he was playing on this team. And I finally turn, I'm looking at him and he doesn't have a care in the world. And I'm like, why am I upset at this? And you don't care. Doesn't it make you angry? And he said, no. Yeah. And I said, why? And he said, eh, wherever they put me, it's still hockey. There you go. Uh, you know, and that's, that's, that's the, the wisdom of the kids because to them, that's a totally different perspective. It's just still hockey, dad. And yet here you are, like so many other millions of parents saying, no, you understand this can be the ticket to get you to, who knows, uh, the NHL or a college scholarship, who knows what. And this is the essence of what we're all going through now as sports parents. I, I promise I take some calls. One eight seven seven three three seven sixty six. We're talking with Rich Cohen. Let's start with our friend Jack uh, Smith and over in Farallon. Jack, good morning. You're on the fan. How you doing, Rick? How you doing, Rich? Hi. Um, good. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is it is amazing because I I, I have the book. Um, I lived it. Um, uh, I'm a 69-year-old guy who has two sons who played baseball at Penn State, went through the whole record, played three sports their whole lives. I sat in the stands. You know, being one of the high school coaches, I coached wrestling, soccer, and softball and baseball. You know, people always used to come up to me for advice. So I used to sit out in the outfield or, you know, down the court, you know, with my uh, fake nose and glasses on because I didn't want all, all the craziness. But, you know, the parents are just completely crazy, and you're, you're absolutely right about, um, you know, the, the status. I mean, if your kid is one of the better players, everybody wants to sit next to you. Everybody wants your advice. You know, everybody's doing private lessons. You know, I have a kid. I had a lesson this morning. I had to be here at 645 to prepare for my, prepare the cage and get ready because this kid that came had to be in and out because he had hockey a hockey game at 7.30 in the morning, you know? <laughs> and here I am getting up an extra hour early so that I can get here, which I have no problem. The kid's a great kid. He's playing as many sports as he, as he can. But, you know, reading your book, it, it, it really is hilarious, but it's so, so true. And, you know, you, you have, like, this is your un youngest kid right now. So, you know, you, you realize it probably better than anybody that it doesn't get any better at the high school level. I mean, you know, I, as a coach at the high school level, and this is, and, and Rick knows these stories, I've had death threats from parents, uh. written letters with, you know, newspaper letters cut out saying I was going to die if my kid didn't pitch, you know, type of thing, you know, and it, it's, it's a crazy, crazy status thing, but the book is hilarious. And walking out of the lesson this morning when the father and son were leaving, two great people, really good human beings, I said, you got to get this book. And he says, you know, I read the article, I think. There was a preview written, he thinks, in the New York Times, and he said it was hilarious. It was just, <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's so true. But, you know, I had two kids, and they were both loved hockey. 
And I remember being a parent in the basement watching these two guys play getting crazy, you know. So the book is fantastic. I can't put it down. And, you know, I congratulate you on it. And if it's not a bestseller, it, it, it ought to be because it is true to life. Jack, Great thank you. Me. As always, I, I appreciate you checking in. And uh, I'm glad you told that story about the fact that you had to do a, a, a hitting lesson this morning with baseball where the kid had a, <laughs> a hockey game. You know, uh, Rich, I, I, uh, it's sort of like sort of understood. If your kid's going to play youth hockey, you're going to have, if you're a parent, get used to the fact that you're going to be getting up in the middle of the night to take your kid uh, in the dead of winter to a, to a hockey rink. Um, and, of course, the hockey rinks are not warm. It's not like going to a game at the Garden or, uh, you know, some other professional rink. It's cold in those rinks, and you sit in your butt, and you freeze your tail off. But let me come back real quickly uh, to, to, um, to the parents, because uh, you become sociologically, as I said, it's, it's like you become attached to these parents. And, and you know, the coaches, the, and you mentioned in this book, and, and they go into the fact that the, the head coach of, of Micah's team is independent. He doesn't have a kid on the squad. But the two assistant coaches are parents, and they do have kids in the team. And that just, to me, it was like such a, a surefire formula for disaster, having parents working as assistant coaches, because now they're, they're getting part of the power to determine who plays, who gets enough playing time. Yeah, and it becomes like this thing. Look, parent coaches, they need them because, it's, they need, because it saves a lot of money. And, and ideally, a parent coach is really just supposed to be on the bench opening and closing the door. Yes. But you have a situation where you have these guys who are 40, 50 years old. They're, you know, powerful guys in the world. And you have a 25-year-old coach. And if the parent coaches want to take over, it's not a fair fight, really. Yes. And now you have something that's very valuable. And it's not like they're intentionally trying to, you know, do something that's unfair for their kids. It's, that no, it's what I realize, which is nobody can see their kid objectively. It's impossible. That person's never been born. And everybody who looks at their kid thinks their kid's either the best player ever or the worst player ever. And I feel like we kind of recognized this when I was growing up, and we sort of dealt with it by saying, if you're a parent coach, you kind of give your kid the shaft, really. Like, if you would go to, out to play baseball and there was a great kid playing right field, batting at the back of the lineup, you knew that was the coach's kid. And the coach was bending over backwards to try mm -hmm. to appear unbiased. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now it's just the opposite. It's like you are coaching you're giving all your time in order to give your kid the best chance. And you've convinced yourself that your kid is the best because quoting my father, believing is seeing. And you just look at it and you see your kid is the best. And you try to explain, look, there's, this is a problem in the team because there's a conflict of interest, obviously. And even if you don't have a conflict of interest, there's an appearance of a conflict and the whole thing gets messed up. So then you wind up forming these, like freshman year in high school, hugging tightly other parents who see the world the way you do. And you could stand at the foot of the bleachers and pick out the different types of parents and how they're dealing with the sort of intensity and stress of the situation. And, of course, in the outside world, they think you're not. So that makes you only closer. So I'd come home. I'd be texting, looking stuff up on the Internet, talking to my wife. And she'd be looking at me like, what is wrong with you? And I'd go, you don't understand me. You can't understand my pain. I have to call one of these hockey parents. They're the only ones that truly understand me, you know? And then it becomes like this very intense, like other family. And then the, the year ends and it just dissolves. So, and, and, and the other thing is that because uh, Jack, who said he's coaching high school baseball and stuff, that he really put his finger on, I think, is that, because of this, everybody's focused not on what's happening right now so much as 
where does this put my kid for next year? Exactly. What's the next What team are they going to make next year? So you're in September talking about what, what are they going to make next year? And I remember one of the, one, one of the parents coming up and going, like Micah had a great game and he said, I think you're okay for next year. It's like <laughs> September. You know, so then you realize that for most of them, they're not playing pro sports. They're not playing Division One college sports. Maybe they can play on a Division Three hockey team. Maybe they'll play on a club team. Maybe they'll end up in an adult league with me and my brother. You know, but the fact is that this is their hockey career. I mean, this is it. And you're kind of missing it because you're so focused on getting the year the, down the road. Getting to the next level. Because as you said, once the season ends in March, well, we got tryouts again in a few weeks for next year. I mean, it's just, right. it's just unbelievable. Let me, let's get some more calls here because obviously I could talk about this topic for, for hours with you, Rich. Let's, uh, let's go to Fort Lee. Uh, John is standing by. John, good morning. You're next up on the fan. How you doing, guys? Uh, first of all, um, you have a sale on the book. If I could get outside, if it wasn't so icy, I'd go buy it right now. But uh, I've been a high school coach for over 30 years, coach multiple sports, still coaching. Actually coaching, uh, my son is on my team now. He's a freshman. Um, and and have seen this happen. We're in a very small town, and but we are also near all the major parochial schools in uh, North Jersey. Mm-hmm. This is a status when you say status, this is it. This is parents living through their kids. This is parents. Uh, I remember when Le- LeBron announced where he was going. Now parents announce in fourth grade where their kids going to middle school, where their kids going. Parents announce when their kid is going to the public school that they live in, that they pay taxes in. Uh, I mean, I mean it, it's just total insanity. But to me, it's setting the kid up. To really take the, if he doesn't achieve the level the parent wants, it's setting him up for such a fall. Like, you know, kids have to fall. Yeah, they have to learn, they have to get back up. But when that, that kid knows, man, my parents spent thousands and thousands, and dad quit his job, and now he works at night, and this and that, and just to bring me to these rec games, and he's this league, and that league, and da da da. And when the fall comes, and it does come, the kid even feels it more. And then sometimes the kid says, you know, I don't know if I want this as much as my mom or dad do. And, uh, again, as a co- I've coached for over 30 years, and I, and I love the fact, just one other point, when, the, when a parent will say to me, you know, maybe the kid isn't playing on the team or something. Well, listen, on a travel team, you know, that we paid $8,000 for, you know, he, he, he got in two minutes a game and this yeah. and that. And I said, oh, my that- God. John, but, uh, that's, that's, I would buy this book, and I'm well, you know, in fact, uh, don't don't it. risk cracking up already. Just listening to you guys. Uh, yeah, thank uh, you very much, John. Go go to Amazon and get it because you go outside. The ice is everywhere this morning, so just be safe and go. Just get it online on Amazon. And 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 yeah, Rich, the, 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 to me. Especially with ice hockey, uh, you know, a, a lot of this has to do, obviously, making sure your kid is on the so-called right line, uh, but also the playing time. Because if your kid's on the first line in hockey, he's he or she's going to get more playing time than the third line, uh, or may not be on the power play or, or whatever. And you know, hot, hot parents, we know about there's a 24-hour rule. The parents aren't allowed to talk to the head coach after the game for at least 24 hours. But clearly. There, there are special exceptions, or your, your blood pressure is going through the roof. You have to ask the coach, why did my kid get any more? I mean, these are the things that parents have no roadmap for, and yet they have to live with this. Yeah, well, we had a, a period during our season where the whole thing kind of went sideways, and I was looking at the parents in the bleachers, and they're all on their phones, and I thought, oh, they're all on their phones because they're bored. And then I kind of read the paper or something, 
And I went over and looked over their shoulders to see what they were doing. They all had their stopwatches open and they were timing the ice time, you know. <laughs> and when you start to time the ice time, then I started doing, I'm like, geez, he played like 10 minutes, you know, and we drove six hours to get here. And he played for 10 minutes, you know, and, and you can start to drive yourself absolutely insane. And the worst words for a hockey parent, if your kid's on the third line is short bench. Oh, that means your kid's not playing at the end of the game. Yes. And you can never, you know, figure out why exactly that it is. But I will say like, for me, a big moment was, uh, Micah made a beautiful move. This is early in his hockey career. Like it surprised me and he scored and parents were going crazy. And a parent came over and hugged me. And said, you did it. And I was like, I didn't do anything. He did it. And then, like, I'm like, well, maybe I did do it. Maybe I told him something about hockey that he couldn't get otherwise. You know, I think I did do it. And then pretty much I'm like, where are we playing today? Where, what are we doing this weekend? Where are we in the standings? And every time I'm like, I'm, I'm not anywhere. I'm not on this team. You know? Finally, my wife had to intervene and say, we need to flip here. You need to take her other son to theater. And I will be a hockey parent for a while because you've lost your mind. <laughs> <laughs> but you were having such a good season, Rich. You know. <laughs> let me, all right, let me, let me take a break. We're talking with Rich Cohen. Uh, his book is called Pee Wee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent. And you've heard this is just a hilarious book. It is so honest and forthright about what it's like to be a, a hockey parent uh, of a kid in this day and age. It's extraordinary. Uh, let me take a time out. When we return, we'll have more conversation with Rich, and we'll take your calls at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Look, friends, I know that the, uh, the temperatures have been, you know, freezing for, it seems, forever. But the, the, tr the truth of the matter is spring training is coming up quickly. And uh, Susan Waldman and Howie Rose will follow, follow me this morning at 9 o'clock, talking about, obviously, the Mets and the Yankees. So that is good news if you are a baseball fan. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter at Ask Coach Wolf, And you can check out my, my website, my blog, and other uh, sports parenting resources at AskCoachWolf.com. Uh, we're talking this morning with Rich Cohen, the author of Pee Wee's Confessions of a Hockey Parent, uh, and we're taking your calls uh, at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let's go to uh, Louis in Lindbrook. Louis, good morning. You're up in the fan. Good morning, Rick. How are uh, you, Lou? Hi. All right, I'm great. Great to hear your voice. Uh, you know, this sounds like a this book sounds like a show for Doctor Phil. The parents <laughs> are dealing with a lot of pressure, uh, with a lot of stress. They probably have to see uh, their psychologist for what's going on. You're getting also with the high blood pressure. You know, the leader of the free world once said, but President Obama said, the toughest job in the world was not being president of the United States. He said it was coaching his girls' basketball team. <laughs> Maybe that's right. Maybe this is a lesson to all the parents that think that they could do the coaching. Leave the coaching to the professionals. <laughs> Believe me, we've been doing this a long time. I've been coaching for over 30 years. Parents think they could just walk in and do anything, and it's not like that. We, we go through a lot of uh, courses, a lot of training. They should understand that this is a tough job. Leave the coaching to the professionals. Lou, I, I hear you loud and clear, uh, and uh, thank you as always. That's a good observation about uh, President Obama. I agree 100%. <laughs> good to talk to you. Thanks, Lou. Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's go to Eric over in Newark. Uh, Eric, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, gentlemen. I really do appreciate it and enjoying this conversation you're having. Um, my son doesn't play 
ice hockey. He plays baseball, and I've been blessed that he's been very talented and gifted, and uh, he's put a lot of hard work into getting better. And unfortunately, I found myself in the first few years of my son playing ball that I became the excited parent in the stands. Yep. I was kind of like the parent who uh, other parents went to to ask questions about the game and about what the coach should be doing. And I became like the coach in the stands, which was not helpful to anybody at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you can all understand and appreciate that. And, and my son, he's a, I'm not going to lie, he's like a foot taller than most of the kids on the team. He's, he's six foot already. He's 12 years old. And he's tall. Yes. And he's, he has some skills. And I know, and me as a parent, I need to be able to lay back and uh, relax and let him play the game and let the game come to him and not me trying to live through him and trying to make sure that he's uh, being successful at 12 years old. And, you know, the, the ultimate goal is for him to enjoy the sport and, and move on. And, and Mr. Wolf, I definitely have listened to you before and and uh, appreciate you giving me guidance, even though you're not speaking to me individually, but to all parents about just letting the kids play the game and letting the coaches uh, coach. And I actually ended up having some issues with my son's town with baseball and where they want to see him go. And, and, uh, but I really do appreciate your guys' guidance and everything. Well, and, uh, I, I look forward to this book. Uh, yeah, Eric, thank you for the, the kind words and thank you for, for chiming in today. And, uh, good luck to your son. It sounds like you have the right perspective on all this. And I, I appreciate your, your comments. Uh, let me, uh, Rich, let me, Go back. T- tell quickly, if you would, the, the, when your son's team played against a, a hockey team that was coached by Mark Messier. Hmm. Yes, that Mark Messier. Tell us that story. Well, you you talked about status and the different yeah. levels. Well, Mark Messier is like you know a god. Yes. So, and um, and the parents. This is my older son, and I was a coach. I was one of the parent coaches, and the parents, just like the previous caller said, uh, were, they just drive you nuts. Then I became one of the parents, but. You know, this, that, they all have opinion. None, like half of them haven't even played hockey, and they yes. know exactly what's going on at every time. And I would just sit there in the locker room and kind of listen to them. And they all go out. We're in West Hartford, and they come back, and they're deadly silent. And I'm like, what's going on? What happened, guys? You look like you saw a ghost. And they're like, you know who's coaching the other team? I'm like, no. They're like, Mark Messier. <laughs> so it's like John Wayne is in the house, you know. And I go to the bench, and there on the other bench is, you know, Mark Messier. looks fantastic. looks like he can just – you know, he's just he's Mark Messier. So we're playing and we're winning. We get like three quick goals and it's between periods and you're not supposed to use a cell phone from the bench. But I'm like, I got it. I got to call my wife. So I call her up and I'm like, guess who we're playing? We're playing Mark Messier and we're going to win. We're going to beat Me- I am going to beat Messier in hockey. And then we have this kid come out beginning of like the second period. He scores putting us up four to nothing, but he does the most insane celebration you've ever seen. He's like Dorothy Hamill doing a routine. He covers the entire ice. He's like doing double axles. He's pointing at everybody in the other team. He gives the goal to God several times. And finally, Messier gets like pissed off and he blows the whistle and he does something. He makes some adjustments. Some player that wasn't playing comes into the game. His own son who's playing defense moves to center. End of story. We lose 12 to four. And normally, all the parents are yelling from the stands. This game is totally quiet. Nobody wants to say anything stupid in front of Messier. And then after the game, normally parents are pissed. They're all saying, great job, Messier. It's not who wins or loses, right? It's who plays the game, right? Right, Mr. Messier? And then at the end, for me, it ends with I'm in the parking lot trying to make everything fit in the Honda Odyssey, which is like playing Tetris. 
things are falling out, and I feel this little thing like a lion next to me. And I turn, it's like a $100,000 sports car that's like a foot off the ground. I'm in my Honda Odyssey. It's Sunday night. It's freezing. And there's Mark Messier and his son, and he just gives me the peace sign and drives away. And I'm like, God bless you, Mark Messier. <laughs> well, that is a memory, obviously, you will remember for the rest of your life because, I mean, you almost beat Mark Messier. <laughs> but yeah. until that kid decided to do a celebra celebration uh, <laughs> on the ice, that clearly got Messier's attention. As you said, made a few adjustments, and before you know it, the, it was a different end to that, that game. <laughs> I, 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 I got to ask you, what, what is, what's been the reaction to this book in, in, in Ridgefield, Connecticut? Because obviously it's about Ridgefield Bears, and, and obviously every, I'm sure every hockey parent there has read the book have they talked to you have they have they shied away from you um what's been micah's reaction to to what uh, this book is all about well mike is just in micah's world so he's not i mean we listened to the bunch of the book together on audio there's one thing that that he took issue with was i described him as a peewee who could pass for a squirt he didn't like that that was oh, the only oh. thing that kind of bugged him in the book okay. and um in the town it's like when you're not playing hockey, you don't hear, you don't talk to all the people. It'd be different if I was going to the rink every day. He switched programs, and COVID has made the season very weird. Yes. But I will say that my whole career as a writer and as a human is based on the idea that I'm a completely average person and average parent. So if I feel something deeply, probably a million other people are, but they're not talking about it out loud. What makes me different is I'm talking about it out loud. And that book was based on the premise that everybody, mostly, mostly 95% of the people feel exactly like I do, and the other 5% are parent coaches. So I've heard from the 95%, and it's been, you know, overwhelmingly positive. I got the greatest email from a woman whose kid plays in the program where I grew up, which is in Winnetka, Illinois. Yep. And she said, you've written our story. It made me feel like the John Steinbeck of youth hockey, you know, <laughs> writing great Seraph. Made me feel very good. The John Steinbeck of youth hockey. That's that's pretty good flap copy. I like that. Uh, and, and Micah has now progressed, because uh, obviously it was a season ago he wrote about this book. He's now a bantam. Is that correct? Yes, and he's on the top team now. He's a double A, and he doesn't, you know, he wants to play triple A. And I'll tell you, he wears number 45. And the reason he wears number 45 is because I, I wrote a book about the 85 Chicago Bears, and I became friendly with. I had this great thing of become, becoming friends with who had been my favorite player, which was Gary Fensick, sure. who played for the Bears. And uh, what's great about Fensick, he told me, is, even though he's almost a Hall of Fame football player, not quite, but he led the Bears all-time in interceptions, he was never the best or even the second best on any team he ever played on. Just remember that. You know, the only reason he even got recruited in college was because the, there was a great quarterback and all these coaches were coming to look at film of the quarterback and somebody finally said, hey, who's catching all those passes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, you know, uh, it's, it's a very good point. You don't have to be the elite superstar from day one. A lot of kids uh, eventually get on to higher levels because they're just really good. And somebody at some point, some coach says, you know, that kid's a pretty good player. Simple. You know, and in hockey, you have the, the trailer. I always think of that as a great model for life who comes in late and ends up scoring the goal. You need to notice him. Let's uh, take one more quick call if we can. Let's go over to Nutley, New Jersey. Bob is uh, on the phone. Bob, good morning. You're on the fan. Hi, Rick. Listen to me. I haven't laughed this much in a long time. <laughs> I'm one of those hockey parents who went through the whole thing. I have a son who played all the way up through the NCAA level. Yes. And it was, it's amazing what I watch now. I go see games. 
and parents are crazy. I thought I was crazy. They're crazy. And, <laughs> and I, I tell this story all the time. I get up in the morning to go to work at 2 o'clock in the morning. My son was a, uh, right after squirt. I forget what the next level was. That's how far I'm out of it now. Yeah. And uh, Pee-wees. I, I rush all day to get to the game. I get to the game, and the game isn't great, and he's not playing great for a kid who's nine years old or eight years old. We get in the car. He looks at me. I go, you mean to tell me I work like a mental case all day, and that's the kind of effort you give me? And my wife goes, he's eight years old. <laughs> and, and I went, oh, my God. I said, I go, you're right. So from then on, I would drop him off at the rink, pick him up when he was done, and I let him just just do his thing. And he was always the B player who went to the A level. And then, and then all of a sudden, he comes home one day. He's in high school. He goes, I'd like to go to a prep school. I go, I would like a house in Hawaii, but I'm not getting one of those. Am I? <laughs> and, and I go, I have no idea about this. He's got all the research done. I didn't know that like sleepaway prep schools had like bigger endowments than colleges do. Yep. So he got to do that. And he got an offer from a Division II school in, in uh, Southern New Hampshire University, played four years of college hockey, won a championship as a senior, and 5'9", 175-pound defenseman who led their conference with plus-minus with a plus-22 and never mm. scored a goal. Huh. And never scored a goal. That's so, amazing. yeah, there you go. That's the, that's the Gary Fentick model right there. That's what I'm talking uh, exactly about. Exactly right. Bob, yeah. thank, thank you for that wonderful story. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, uh, we, as sports parents, we can all relate to, you know, you feel the temptation to, to articulate your emotions to your 8-year-old son and say, you know, what about the effort? and so, But the kids, the kids are oblivious to this. And, again, we always worry about you know, why we lose our perspective on all this. And, and again, uh, Rich, you, you've talked about this in the book so well uh, that, that – People really understand that that this is you get caught up in the in the swirl. It's about you. It's about you feel is the way you're. This is the pathway to get your kid a college scholarship, or maybe maybe somehow they'll get a pro contract, or or or, or somehow you know it's going to improve their status in life if they make the the double A team as opposed to the A team, or they play on the first line as opposed to the third line. It is nuts. And of course, we all we didn't talk about it, but obviously this is very expensive. Uh, parents spend uh, thousands of dollars, whether it's for ice hockey or, or AAU basketball or, or uh, uh, travel team soccer, club soccer, baseball, you name it, it's, it's part of our society today, and this is why I do this show every Sunday, because, as you've heard from these callers, it is out there. Rich, I, I, I thank you so much, and again, if you heard from all the callers this morning and myself as well, I can't say enough good things about this book. It's called Pee Wee's. Confessions of a Hockey Parent by Rich Cohen. You can go to Amazon and buy it right now. But again, whether it's your kid plays different sport besides hockey, you will relate to this book in a big-time way. Rich, my, my sincere thanks for joining me this morning, and obviously uh, I'd be curious to see how this book does in the next uh, you know few months because I think people are going to come to it in a big, big way. Wow, thanks, Rick. That's going to do it for me in the Sports Edge. Uh, my thanks uh, this morning to Ed Arzuman. Please stick around for uh, Susan Waldman and Howie Rose. They're up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.